0: There is a verse in the second chapter of Acts, verse forty four. <clears throat> it says And all that believed were together and had all things common. Now that's the little story of the unity of believers immediately after Pentecost. One of the dearest doctrines in the scriptures, and one of the dearest to me personally, is the doctrine of the unity of the members of the Church of Christ, not only one with each other. But one with Christ. And I sometimes tell people that I think in our family that we have quite an uh, quite a demonstration of at least interdenominationalism. My wife grew up a Presbyterian, and I met her in the Methodist Church, and we entered then immediately after an alliance church. Her oldest son and his, people, his family go to a Quaker church in California. The next son attends with his family, a Presbyterian church, and the next son teaches Sunday school in a Baptist church, and his people go there. Another son is affiliated with the Presbyterian church. The youngest son is a Presbyterian preacher. My daughter is taking her training, and expects to go to the field as a missionary under the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I don't know what I am. That's the ecumenical movement, you know, in uh, <clears throat> in uh, in practice. And now I really want to preach to you to warm your hearts a bit out of this second chapter of Acts, but since we're hearing a lot about it, I thought that I would talk a little bit about the uh, ecumenical movement, which is abroad, it won't be anything like a scholarly discourse nor will it be a history of the movement, but it will only be an effort to show that there is a movement of which I believe is not of God, and then there is a unity, a universal oneness which is of God. Now, in the first place, the ecumenical is a word which you hear if you're subject to the influence of British-speaking people or are yourself English, you will call it ecumenical. But ecumenical doesn't sound right to me, so I call it ecumenical, and I think that most people on the continent do. I know they do in the States, and as you know, I'm an old Yankee-go-home. And uh, I uh, will call it, therefore, ecumenical and so on, giving it the the soft e instead of the hard one. Now, some of you are so busy with your housework and your work generally that you pay little attention to it. But there is a movement on, and has been on for some time, to bring all the church into one, uh, one organization. Now, this Ecumenical idea, of course, all the word ecumenical means is universal all over the earth. That's all it means. But it has been, of course, adapted to mean that all over the earth, wherever there are Christians, they are in one organization. Now, it doesn't mean that the whole church, if there's a council, says there will be next Thursday, beginning in Rome. If there is an ecumenical council, it doesn't mean that all the Church is there, but it means all the representatives, or that the representatives of the whole Church is there. This ecumenical council is to be held in Rome next starting next Thursday. It will take a long time to complete its work. There will be over 2,800 delegates, and they will deal with 70 different items on their agenda. And the most important one, unless I miss my, my guess, the most important one will be the one they call the unity of all Christians. And I had noticed that they are now getting very broad and Protestant in their views, and they are they are calling it They say that that they are willing to put more emphasis on Scripture. Now, that, to my mind, is bait to catch suckers, to put more emphasis on Scripture because our friends over on the papal side of the road, if uh, Scripture has it one way and the Catholic tradition has it another, Catholic tradition will win out all the time. But if they can say that they're willing to give more emphasis to the Scripture in the Church in order to woo the Protestants who love the Scriptures, of course they'll do that. Now, the Protestants also, of course the ecumenical councils have been all down the centuries. That is, the councils held by the Roman Church in which there were delegates from all over the world. And they settled all kinds of questions, and sometimes they didn't say the right thing. But then we have a movement among the Protestants, and uh, that movement among the Protestants has, uh, has some aims. One of the aims I don't believe in at all, because I think it's already been fulfilled. Our Lord, you know, when he prayed his prayer, our brother quoted it tonight, it said that they all may be one. Jesus wanted his church to be one, and he prayed that way. And now they are coming to me, and they are saying, you ought to join our organization for the unification of believers, so that the prayer of Jesus would be fulfilled that all may be one. Well, now I'd like to tell you this, that if it takes Jesus Christ nineteen hundred years to get his prayer answered for the unity of his church, And if the church all down the centuries has been, this hasn't been answered and they have not yet become unified, then my faith in the Lord would suffer a staggering blow. The simple fact is that the prayer of Jesus that they might all be one was answered dramatically in the fiery outpouring of Pentecost, when all that were believers were baptized by the Holy Ghost into one body. But then there are those who, while they wouldn't say that this is their reason, they just want everybody to get together, all like-minded Christians, and that's a fine idea. And there have been some mergers, you know. There have been quite a number of mergers in recent times, and some of them have been all right. That is, they're all believers, and they all get together instead of having two heads and Two uh, headquarters and two official magazines, and why they only have one. Now that's always to be desired. For 25 years, I've uh, worked on this thing of trying to get the Christian Missionary Alliance to unite with the, uni- the Missionary Church Association. It looks now as if they will. But then you could put the missionary church people and the alliance people in a sack and shake them up and you wouldn't know one from the other because we do believe the same thing. We're simply Christians and so when we would unite or merge, uh, there there would be no sacrifice of any vital theology at all. Then there are others who believe that Christians ought to get together and thus fulfill the prayer of Christ, even if they had to sacrifice truth. There started in uh, Amsterdam in 1948, a great world movement called the World Council of Churches. And uh, you have never heard me say anything against it, I don't make it a practice to preach sermons against things. As I've said, I'm 99% for things and 1% against. But this happens to be one of the things that I'm against. The Anglicans and the Eastern Orthodox and the Protestants and the old Catholics got together And uh, then after that, now, into the World Council, there have come denominations, or at least whole parts of denominations, until it's a vast, sprawling octopus all over the world. And now the pressure is on from many directions, especially from Rome, that smiling, rather overweight gentleman in the Vatican, uh, is a kindly old fellow, you know, it wouldn't be bad to talk to him, I'd like to talk to him, pointing to Jesus. but. he uh, he said, you know, that here I am at the end of the road and on the top of the heap. He said that after he got elected pope. Now that was a human thing to say. There hadn't been anything human come out of the Vatican for, for at least during the uh, the um, time that the previous pope was in. He couldn't. He had big eyeglasses and big eyes and a sober look. But this fellow is a, a nice old fellow. But uh, he wants us all to get together, and uh, he's saying that he thinks the union of all Christians is one thing that he wants to try to promote, and he'd love to bring it about and go down history as the Pope that brought the Protestants back into the fold. Now, uh, one thing that we ought to remember, my dear friends, is that the unity of the Christian Church in the Spirit is one thing. But the union of all Christian groups is quite another thing altogether. We ought to remember the doctrine of the apostasy found in the scriptures. There is a doctrine there that says that the time will come, perhaps I could could read just a few verses of it, where it says that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts they shall eat to themselves, teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables." Now that's what the man of God said. And there's much else there also, where it said that they were people time would come when men would be lovers of their own selves, and they denied a form of having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he said, from such turn away. You see, there is a difference between Christendom and the Church. What the present ecumenical push is trying to do is to solidify Christendom to bring us all who are on the Christian side of things at all, that is, the Western world, and all Christians or of any sort, to bring them together in one vast body. That's Christendom. But there is in the Scriptures a great difference between Christendom and the Church. And the Church teaches that Christendom shall be apostate and shall give up her faith "...and shall wallow in her own self-righteousness, and shall deny the power, and shall be totally unprepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith in the earth." That's Christendom. But the Church is another thing. The beautiful Church of Christ that we read about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where there's one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ, and says then that we must go on until for the work of the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now the perfecting of this unity which took place and takes place when anybody is baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, then the perfecting of that until the whole beautiful church is made is brought into the presence of Christ, this is the business of the Holy Ghost through the scriptures through the pastors and teachers and prayer warriors on the earth. <clears throat> but in the meantime, there is a great large body called Christendom made up of Christians of every stripe and color and kind, ring streaked and speckled and spotted throughout the whole world. And this is not included here. And the Holy Spirit never intended it to be here. What then should we do about it briefly? Well, join nothing that questions the truth of the Bible. Now, let me tell you that. Join nothing that questions the truth of the Bible. I preached down in Newark the other night, as I mentioned, and uh, I uh, said that Jesus Christ was, uh, took nothing from science and nothing from philosophy and uh, nothing from civilization and nothing from man's wisdom, that he stood alone, unique and supreme above all and I went over them one at a time, and I showed how little science really knew in the, in, in, in the end. And after the meeting, a fine-looking lady, middle-aged, and uh, a very distinguished-looking husband, they walked down the aisle and they spoke to me. And the lady said, Mr. Tozer, we're just fresh out of liberalism. She said, we have just been delivered from the modernistic church, and we've been born again, and oh, we're so glad to hear you. And the distinguished-looking gentleman said, I am a scientist. And he said, after hearing men like you, I know how little we scientists really know after all. Well, that dear couple, even though he was evidently a brilliant scientist, he looked like one. And after admitting he was one, well, I know he was one. All right, the, uh, uh, the, the question now is, were they to stay in a church that... Uh, that uh, taught that the Bible is a book of myths. That uh, that there are several Jehovahs. There are several gods in the Old Testament. That Jehovah is a tribal god. That he is not uh, the truly one God, but a tribal god. And that uh, Daniel was written after the event, and uh, that uh, Moses didn't write the Pentateuch, and that uh, Jonah couldn't possibly have been swallowed by a whale, and that that Joshua couldn't make the sun stand still, and that the story of creation is now outdated and outmoded and proved to be wrong. I've had them come to me right in this city, at least on two occasions. And question, after coming to this church and hearing me, question whether I believed the Bible at all or not. They said, Do you believe it? Obviously, there are those in this city preaching in churches that do not believe the Bible, and these young people, for all instances they were young people, they are being taught that the Bible is a a book of, uh, of myth and that there are some good things in it if you can find them. And so they either don't want you to read the Bible or they want you to scratch through it as a rooster scratches through a pile uh, of of, um, straw looking for that lone grain that he might find. Now, I say, any movement or any church or any group anywhere that questions the truth of the Bible, you as a believer cannot afford to fool around with them. And then, if... uh, This group uh, accepts any place for all the superstition that goes along with holy bones and holy water and uh, the mother of God and all mankind, as I heard her call today. Why, uh, I say, for the thing thing for you to do is to quietly walk out. I am not a come-outer outside of the church I mentioned where I came out and joined the Alliance. I have never come out of anything since that I can recall come out of churches, but they've always gone back the next week, you know. But I have never left anything, and I've never split anything. So I am not a lint-picker nor a witch-hunter, and I am not compelling every man to say shibboleth in the same tone of voice that I do. If he has an Irish accent and says shibboleth some other way, let him say it. If he loves the Lord, he's my brother. But if he's a smooth talker... And tells me that I'm, it's ridiculous for me to believe that God ever, ever inspired the scriptures. Why then, of course, I can't have fellowship with Him. Remember that 17th chapter of Revelation. I'm not going to take time to read it. But that 17th chapter of Revelation tells about that great mystery to Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, the abomination of the earth. But I want you to know that this, this harlot has children. She not only is a harlot, but that she is the mother of other harlots, and these harlots are nothing else than the churches that are apostate and claim the name of the Lord, but do not live the truth of the Lord. Now remember that seventeenth of Revelation, and remember the teaching of the apostles about the apostasy that shall be in the end time, and remember the teaching of Jesus. And do not be taken in by any soft talk about uh, more emphasis on the scriptures. fellow told me, uh, the president of the Collegiate Institute, where I spoke, told me on the way from the airport that he'd had at uh, Princeton, that he'd had a, a teacher, a professor, and he said he used to speak, and some of his messages were so beautiful that I said, I wish I could have him preach in my church. And then he said the very next time he would get up and upset the whole business and kick the foundations out from under the New Testament and out from under Christianity and out from under things of God. And he said, I knew better. Well, therefore, I'd like to tell you this. I don't know. I'm not good enough prophet to know what direction things are going to take. I do know that I hear strange things in evangelical circles these days. I hear people rethinking things. We're rethinking inspiration, we're rethinking the deity of Christ, we're rethinking sin, we're rethinking morals, and we're trying to equate it with what they call mores, or the the habits and customs of certain cultures. We've gone to anthropology and have learned that what's a sin in one country won't be in another, and therefore we Christians have got to accept whatever's there. We're rethinking things. We're even rethinking whether God really created the heaven and the earth and man after his own image. The the evangelicals are now rethinking things that a generation ago, evangelicals, and they took for granted and never gave a thought to. So I don't know what direction we're going to go from here. They asked me uh, uh, at a newspaper in Miami, Florida, whether I thought that uh, there would be more unity in the Church in days to come, and whether I thought there ought to be. And I said, no, I thought there ought to be more division, because I thought that there ought to be a group of godly people who wouldn't be taken in by apostate churches and preachers And that they ought to stand out and stand up and be counted. And they printed it. I don't know whether anybody liked it or not, but I wasn't particularly careful whether they did or not. I still believe it. I believe that we ought to obey the word of God and withdraw from all that which says that we are, that uh, it it is not of Christ. Now, I'll tell you this that while I live, there will be one free Protestant. I don't know about the others. I know not what others may do, said the old politician, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And as for me, I know not what others may do. But while I live, there will be one free Protestant. I may be in jail, but I will be free. And a man who believes in God through Jesus Christ the Lord knows where he is and is not been taken in by a red herring and he hasn't been brainwashed by soft talk and who loves God and Christ and mankind for Christ's sake. That's a free Protestant, even if he's in chains. So I say to surrender to the movement that would unite us all together and make a great, vast, sprawling super church out of all Christians some drink, some dance, some, some live wickedly, some are mad about money, some never go to church except once a, a, a year, one of the holidays, and uh, some doubt the word of God, and some deny it, and some laugh at it, and some gamble, and some play the horses, and some are dirty minded, and some tell dirty jokes, and yet they belong to the different churches. And they want me to, to join that mess. To join it, my dear brother and sister, would be for me to surrender, and to surrender would be to perish. Now, I can't have much influence on the evangelical church, but I should like to say to the evangelical church that there is a little limerick, which they ought to remember, about the young lady from Niger. There was a young lady from Niger who went for a ride on a tiger. And they came back from the ride with the lady inside and a smile on the face of the tiger. And if you and I, who love God, go for a ride with the Pope, we will come back from the ride with the evangelicals inside and a smile on the face of the tiger. So my brothers and sisters, you know now, and whether this makes me popular or unpopular in Toronto, I care absolutely not at all. But I say I want you to know this, that while I have preached for Lutherans, and I, I almost all of them, uh, let me see, what denominations haven't I preached for? I can't think of any. And I love them all, and as I've said, we're, we're a sample of interdenominationalism in our home, and the, uh, any Alliance Church has in it, just practically everybody will know. Just pra- I preached on Moody Church here the 5th of, um, of August, and this last week I got an anonymous, Letter, a nice approving letter, with a cracked in it from somebody and said a Lutheran here who heard you August the fifth at Moody Church. So there was a Lutheran. I preached to them all in their denominations as well as scattered ones here and there. So I'm I'm not ai don't think the Alliance has everything, and that you have to be in the Alliance to have to be saved. Not by any means. I just think we're a missionary society, and up to now, we're clean of any any liberalism so uh, I'm staying along with the Alliance. But there's a difference between the, the ecumenical movement, which would unify in one great superorganization all people who say they're Christians, and the true Church, which is a living organism, and which is born of the Spirit and washed in the blood and joined to the body of Christ, by the mysterious operation of the Holy Ghost in what we call regeneration. And when this happened in the book of Acts, the second chapter, I'll watch that clock and when it's time to quit I'll break my sermon off and quit, whether I'm finished or not. Gypsy Smith said his sermons were like a fish's backbone, he said, you can unjoin them anywhere. And I'll just unjoint this thing when the time is up. And I want you in the meantime to know that I'm for the Church. But I am not for the great world super-church, but for the church which he purchased with his blood. And all that believed were together. Now, why were they together, this beautiful crowd of believers? They were together because there were reasons for it. You see, they were pressed together by antagonisms from the outside, and they were drawn together by magnetism from the inside. And a body of Christians that are living so clean and right and that dare to take their stand and stand up and be counted on the issues that matter, they're very likely to get pushed together and pressed together by external antagonisms. But that's not enough. They must be drawn together by internal magnetism. That is, we must be drawn together by the Holy Spirit. I love the people of God. I really do. I'm a very nervous man, and sometimes I can't spend a lot of time with people. Uh, The pressure of hard work keeps me rather jumpy, and so I I don't say that I always like to sit down and talk five hours with everybody, but I love the Lord's people. I love the old weary ladies, and I love the bright-eyed young fellows just converted. And I just love God's people. If they're in Christ, I love them. And that magnetism would bring me to the Church of Christ. I don't, don't imagine that I haven't down the years said, well, I'm going to quit preaching. But as Jeremiah said while I was musing, the fire burned and I went back to preaching again. Well, this explains the constant use of the sheep figure. Sheep are not solitary creatures, you know. They, 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 they work together, and, and live together, and feed together, and lie down together beside the green, in the green pastures beside the, the soft waters. The only time a sheep goes off by himself is when he's lost or sick. A sick sheep doesn't go with the flock, and when I find a Christian who is such an individualist that he never goes to church, if he's a Christian, he's a sick Christian. So if you're a found sheep and a healthy sheep, You will go where the flock is. And any of you who wonder where the shepherd is, I'd like to tell you where. He's where the flock is. And if any of you wonder where the flock is, I'd like to tell you it's where the shepherd is. So the shepherd and the flock always stay together. And I, for my part, don't have the courage nor the disposition to go off by myself and try to live my Christian life all alone. I need others. I need the the other sheep which are of the fold, and the other sheep which are not of this fold, but which are coming into the fold. Now, a Christian doesn't dwell alone, I say, and the Christians should stay together for the mutual help they can be to each other. And uh, if you think you don't need the church, that's just the proof that you do need the church, because if you didn't need the church, you probably would think you did. It is... it is... The same as when a man says he isn't sick, and it's obvious that he is, he's worse off than the man who, who knows he's sick. For the man who is sick and doesn't know he is and won't admit he is is not going to go anywhere for help. There's such a thing as the communion of saints and the cultivation of eternal friendships. You know something that in this church right here, You can cultivate friendships that will be yours in the eternal tabernacles. You can say goodbye to people here at their graveside and meet them again with a warm, immortal handshake at the right hand of God,
1: and know them and
0: recognize them and know them for who they are and were. So we need each other. The communion of saints. I don't want to make so much of it. I don't want to make too much of anything unless it's not possible to make too much of Christ. But apart from preaching every time I preach about Christ, I don't want to preach every time I preach about the communion of saints. But I believe in the communion of saints nevertheless. The communion of the saints of God on the earth and the communion of the saints of God who have gone from the earth. Well, you said, and you believe in spirit tapping, can you communicate with somebody that's gone? I didn't say communicate, I said commune. There's a difference. I don't believe it's possible to communicate with the saints in heaven, but I think it's possible to have communion with them. I used a little illustration one time in a book, and have never used it since, I think, but I think it's a pretty good one, so I'll use it now. I said, suppose, suppose that a man and a girl were, as they say, in love, and uh, the man had to leave her and go away, and there'd be another province somewhere, another state. And uh, he said, now listen, uh, we'll be a long, long way apart, but I'll tell you what you do. And he looked at his counter, and now he said, at a certain night, at a certain hour, the moon will be full, and it will be in a certain position at a certain time in the evening of a certain night. Now I can't come to you, but you go out on the lawn and you look at the moon, and I'll go out on the lawn and I'll look at the moon, and I'll be looking at what you're looking at, and we'll be seeing the same thing, and we'll be thinking about each other. Well, now that may be a little romantic and sticky, but isn't there something to that, brothers and sisters? Isn't there something to that? That uh, we look at Jesus, and they look at Jesus, and though they're over yonder and we're here, we're the church militants and they're the church triumphant, but we meet in the same person. We don't communicate with each other, just as the young men and young women don't hoo-hoo across the meadow to each other, too far apart. But they do say she sees it, and she said he sees it, and so they're together. I believe it entirely possible to have the communion the communion of saints, which is a a unity of of appreciation, a unity of love, a unity of worship, a unity of devotion, and more than that a union in the Holy Ghost, which makes all the people of God one around the world. You know, I think, I don't know whether I'll take my sense of humor to heaven or not. I don't do much for these articles and books that are being written, proving that God has a sense of humor. But uh, I think that I may keep mine in the world to come. And I think, brothers and sisters, that I am going to laugh, at least with a certain amount of, 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 of celestial dignity, when I see the astonished look on the face of some people who didn't think we were going to get there, you know saying, well, oh, they didn't belong to our denomination at all. No, I didn't belong to your denomination, but I got there. And the, the look of astonishment is going to please me. I think I'm going to laugh because I believe that all the people of God are going to make it through without any effort at all through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And uh, there, there's the communion. So therefore, I want to commune with the people of God. Chicago, I started to say Chicago, of course I mean Toronto, lost a lovely soul here from our midst the other day. He didn't die, he went back to England. Our friend uh, Jerry Gregson, he was an Episcopalian and he always had his call around the other way. And you know? We had one of them here, and he wasn't an Episcopalian, but he was sitting here beside me during the Keswick meetings, the Spiritual Life Convention. I sat there alongside of him and felt small because I had my suit on you know, my suit, and he had on his with the collar around. So the next night I saw him back there ushering. And I went up and I said, is this the man that sat beside me on the platform last night with a dog collar on? He said, I'm sure that the man, he said, a man has to get a clean shirt on occasionally. So he took it good-naturedly. I don't care, let him wear. I have preached in robes. I never preached with a collar on backwards. I always managed to be sober at the time and put it on right. But uh, if anybody wants, if this brother just feels he looked better looking out over his car, I say, amen, put it on, brother. It means nothing to me. Uncle said, the reason I wear them, I visit the hospital. It's an entree to the hospital. Well, if that's worth your trouble, Reverend, go ahead and wear it. I love you, and we're one in Christ. We'll have communion of the saints. There's always safety near the shepherd, too, you know. It can be suicide for a sheep to stray. From the, from the shepherd, so if you stay close by the shepherd, and all the rest of the sheep stay close by the shepherd, you'll not only be near to the shepherd, but you'll be near to each other. Isn't that reasonable? As you crowd in, you get near to each other. And then, of course, there is a manifestation of the shepherd's presence. I repeat again that I grieve. I grieve that we have so little manifestation of the shepherd's presence. We talk about his being here, but we don't sense that he's here. You know what I mean? We don't have the feeling that he's here. Don't talk down feeling. It's part of our human constitution. When he walks into the presence of his people, consciously, they can't help but feel it. And I think the most wonderful thing that we could have here at Avenue Road would be that we should become so Christ-conscious and so church-loving that we would clean up our lives and purify our hearts and wash our hands and forgive our enemies and love them too. And then we would focus our eyes on him and learn to live and pray and preach and give and worship in the very conscious presence of the Son of God's love. I think this would be the most beautiful thing in all the wide world. And, dear friends, I don't mind telling you at all, if I knew there was any place on the earth a company of believers that enjoyed this as intensely and wonderfully as they should, I think I would try to find them, and if they would have me, spend the rest of my days with them. But as I've said, I have been among almost all the denominations, from Pentecostals to the Lutherans, and preached for them, and I just don't find it much. Maybe, maybe God would have it, that this Avenue Road Church should be the one to give back to the evangelicals again in this dispensation, this period, what it means, what Christian unity means, what Christian love means, what the real... Unity of the believer is. Being let go, they went to their own company. And it's a sweet company when the Lord is in the midst of it. Now, there's where I break off my sermon. I have another page of notes, but it's going to end right there. And I want to pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, We're unworthy to be members of thy church, but we are not going to be tricked by the devil into letting our unworthiness make us morbidly unbelieving, even though we're not worthy to be. We're accepted in thee, and thou hast made us members of thy body, and we accept it. And we leave the matter of our worth with thee. And if angels or archangels question our right to be there, we look to thee as a sheep looks to his shepherd and say, Answer for me, Lord, answer for me. I admit I'm not worthy, but answer for me, dear Lord. And thou wilt answer for us. For thou didst come from high heaven to low earth, from the immortal and eternal liberty of the Godhead to the confines of the virgin's womb, that we might be redeemed. Now just die on the cross of shame and suffering, and rise, that we might be justified and forgiven, and you reunited again with the Father from which we fell in the fall. Lord, all this is true, and we leave it with thee. Now wilt thou bless and help us to see how wonderful it is to be a member of however small a group that believes in thee. We leave the great top-heavy Christendom to find its own way. We shall pray, O God, for all the Church, all who call themselves Christians. We shall be tolerant and kind and charitable and loving and friendly of them all but we will only go with those that love thy name that trust the precious work of Christ on the cross and that are ready to leave all and follow him. We pray O God for every Christian in Toronto. We pray for all the ministers of the truth and we thank thee there are many who preach the truth. Bless them all Father. Grant that over these weeks that lie before us we may see a constant rising tide that shall eventuate and flow, but it shall be like the river that flows out from the throne of God. And all this, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.